I am joined today by Scott Lamb, President of the Conservative Party of Canada. By day, Scott is a Vancouver-based lawyer and partner with Clark Wilson. And by night and weekends, he helps the Conservative Party navigate one of the most interesting times in our history. Today, we're going to talk about party politics, the future of the Conservative Party, and his role in the Conservative movement. So thank you for being on the show today, Scott. We are going to spend some time talking about the politics as a business, I think is kind of the theme we're going to spend time on. But I do want to talk about your role as a party member, as the president of the party. Um, I want to talk about Aaron O'Toole, the new uh, party leader, and um, the role that the Conservative Party has right now uh, in this current environment. Uh, we have a minority government that could be in place for up to another three years, maybe not. Um, so we're going to spend some time talking about all those things. Sounds great. So let's start off by being party president. I mean, the thing that first struck me is when um, when Teiko Van Popta, one of the MPs and members of the Conservative Party who introduced you to me and said, let's get Scott on the show. I said, oh, isn't he flying out here next? And he said, no, no, he lives here in Vancouver. Because I just made the assumption that you're either from Alberta or you're from Ontario. Yes, and, that and usually uh, the Ontario folks uh, tend to control a lot of the things. We, we wrested the uh, presidency uh, away from them uh, and claimed it for Western Canada when I came on board. So. Okay, so how long have you been president for? Uh, four and a half years. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I was elected first at the Vancouver National Convention, which I chaired, and uh, was re-elected in 2018 at our national convention in Halifax as well. Okay. Now, is there a certain term uh, for presidency? Yes, and uh, my term was supposed to be up in April. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, as you know, we had a leadership race. And because of the leadership race, uh, we bounced our convention over to the fall. And then as we got into our leadership race, of course, we had COVID-19. <laughs> and so then we bounced that from November on uh, further. And we're going to make an announcement fairly shortly as to the precise date of our, our convention. And so, Unless something else comes up. <laughs> yeah, it just seems one thing after another uh, in the last while. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, so tell me a bit more about what are the basic responsibilities and because and, I would say that a lot of our listeners likely, like myself, right. were well familiar with the Conservative Party. Many, I'm sure, of our listeners even vote for the Conservative Party, donate to the Conservative Party. But they only think about the Conservative Party, like myself, in terms of like who the MPs are that represent that party. Um, and it's and maybe they're obviously the, the philosophies of the Conservative Party, but never thought about like the people behind it, like yourself, the president. So right. what are you, what's your responsibility here? What is your, and how does that contrast with Aaron O'Toole? Um, the way I like to describe it is uh, our party constitution is set up uh, as a three-legged stool. Okay. So on the one hand, you have the leader of the party and the caucus, the MPs, uh, as one leg of the stool. And then the next leg of the stool, you have the national council, which I'm president of, and the, the party uh, operations. And then the third leg is the chair of the fund, the Conservative Fund of Canada. And they're those directors, which look after the financial uh, management. They have uh, responsibilities for that. Oh, wow. Okay. So so you, so you as far as our raising money, because when we talk about the business of politics, I mean, one of the main things as anything in business is about having a good financial house in order and being able to keep the lights on. Right. Um, sounds to me like your role isn't really involved in the around the fundraising aspects. It is and it isn't. Okay. Uh, we have a relationship with the fund that we, we work closely together. And what I like to say is those three legs of those stools, if they all work well together, uh, there's usually good success for our party. And so uh, we work closely with the, uh, the fund uh, to uh, ensure that we're able to raise the money uh, for our elections campaigns and uh, keep our party operations going. Okay. 
So Scott, what are some of the types of things that you do as a party president that the average Joe like myself um, or the average Andrew uh, <laughs> wouldn't uh, wouldn't actually realize you do? Like, what are some of the key parts of like that? You, you know? it, the key things are, are are working with the fund uh, in terms of raising money, uh, yeah. but it's also uh, party operations. We're right now in a nomination cycle, so we're nominating people all across the country to run for us for our party. We form um, uh, a, a a oversight role, uh, but also we perform an operations role. So we uh, participate in various committees and things that we do in party operations, not just uh, supervising. So for most people, listeners that are used to uh, board of directors uh, kind of roles and that sort of governance, it's a little bit different than that. Um, we're not just purely uh, uh, directors of a, of a corporation, as it were, uh, in our role as uh, directors of the party. We actually perform um, operational uh, duties as well. It works pretty simply. Um, we're a grassroots party. We open up the nominations. Then anybody can uh, uh, file uh, the appropriate documentation uh, to run. Uh, in the nomination uh, race for a particular riding. So uh, these are all starting to open up now and uh, we're getting people coming forward and and running. Um, So uh, sometimes we'll get a whole bunch of people that that qualify and and are able to uh, submit their documentation and get into the process. Uh, sometimes we'll get uh, uh, only a few people, um, and uh, we're our job is to try to encourage as many people to come forward as possible. Uh, but we are moving quickly because it's a minority government, and in a minority government, where the window for a lot of this recruitment is uh, is is quite short. Because um, you could potentially have what we have in BC right now, where the BC Liberals who are not associated with the federal Liberals, uh, but where the BC Liberals and the Green Party were kind of caught. Um, I wouldn't say with their pants down, but they they caught were caught caught off guard with the snap election. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, and and so there you you really want to make sure you're you're moving forward with a lot of uh, dispatch to do that, and that's what we're doing. Okay. Um, and in the case of uh, what happened here provincially, it was interesting to see the NDP uh, go for uh, an election because they themselves actually hadn't nominated all of their candidates. Right. And that's usually one of the 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 tell signs as to whether uh, a governing party is going to actually call an election. Do they have all of their unheld riding nominees in place, their candidates in place? And if they don't, it tells you, well, they're not ready. And the other thing you're looking for is where's the money? Uh, how are they doing in their fundraising? Are they raising lots of money? And if they've they've got their candidates in place, and they've raised lots of money, and their polls are looking good, you know they want to push for an election. Wow, interesting. So that was a bit of a surprise in the sense that uh, what you've just described is the BC NDP didn't have all their candidates. And I mean, we wouldn't, I guess, know how much money they'd raised, but it sounds like... You would know because it's uh, disclosed uh, on a quarterly basis, even oh, in BC. Just, yeah. Oh, is it? I didn't know so that. You federally can... and provincially? Yep. Oh, so wow. uh, our, our reporting federally is quarterly and uh, people watch that very carefully to see how the parties are doing. Uh, typically, in fundraising for political parties, governing parties out-fundraise uh, opposition parties. Uh, and that's pretty much the case what's happened in B.C. Right. The NDP has done better. Except if you're Donald than, Trump these days, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Joe Biden's doing a pretty... Well, and, and, and federally, uh, the Conservative Party uh, has been out-fundraising the Liberal Party. Have they? Uh, yeah, okay. and we've been doing that for uh, quite a while now. 
Um, when and that I, must be much more difficult. I mean, we could dive into that whole arena um, on fundraising. There were some tr- changes in the rules, I think it was at 2017 yeah. or so. That Well, uh, prior to that, well, we were still government, yeah. uh, the Harper government, and even prior to that, to the Cretchen government, a series of reforms were made. Effectively, what it did was pull back um, the uh, fundraising from uh, unlimited donations to a cap, and currently that's 16000 excuse me, $1,650, yeah. um, and uh, then uh, preventing uh, individ- uh, corporates or uh, union uh, donations. Right. So there could only be individual donations to $1,650. So, so before that, 2017, that corporations and unions could donate, and individuals, right. corporations, and unions could also donate fairly large sums. Right. But today, now it's... It's all capped out. Uh, yeah. So the effect of that, uh, Andrew, is, is it meant that the political parties in Canada have had less money to operate with. Right. Significantly less. Mm-hmm. And um, you compare that to other jurisdictions in other countries, like the United States, where they're literally in this uh, presidential and congressional election cycle, spend billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, Even in the UK... They'll spend a lot more than we have here in Canada. Um, and, and the ramifications... How much would we spend in Canada? Well, you know, you're looking at each uh, party, uh, the Liberals and ourselves, spend to the, the cap last time, which is about $29 million during mm-hmm. the, the RIP period. Uh, and then the NDP... Well, there's even a cap. Even if you did raise an unlimitless amount of money, there's actually a cap on how much you can spend. During what we call the RIP period, during okay. the election period. Prior to that... Uh, there are some restrictions, but mostly uh, it's it's open ended what you can spend. Uh, so uh, it's it's highly regulated and highly controlled. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, it means that um, you know uh, people often think that there's a building in Ottawa that's thirty stories high and has got a big C on it, and there's a cast of thousands working for the Conservative Party. Well, there isn't, um, and the Liberal Party has about eighty professional people working for them. We have around 60 professional people working for us, uh, and that's it. Uh, the rest are, is all a massive volunteer organization, wow. and, which is mobilized during an election period to literally to tens of thousands of people Incredible. working. Uh, so it's a, it's a very much different organization. I told you a little bit about how the governing structure is, a little different than your typical corporation. Well, also, the actual functioning of who does all of this is a lot different because you've got a small professional staff overseeing really effectively a very large volunteer base. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, with these changes in uh, in the regulations on, on donations to political parties, effectively getting rid of foreign donations, corporate donations, union donations, and even capping donations for individuals so that wealthy people can't really donate much to right. a particular party, I got to assume that probably hurt the Conservative Party more than it Hindered uh, than it than it helped it compared to say that of like the Green Party of Canada who likely probably has mostly you know not not a bunch of wealthy people donating to them. The interesting thing about that, Andrew, yeah. is actually it didn't. It didn't. Um, we okay. are the leading fundraising uh, party uh, and have been for a long time now. Really? What uh, what happened was is that uh, when we merged the old Progressive Conservative Party with the Alliance Party, mm-hmm. there was a real tradition, particularly on the Alliance side of uh, grassroots involvement and uh, donations. So effectively, we understood how to raise lots of money from a broad base of donors. Okay. Uh, and what I mean is not that not large donations, but lots of them okay. from a broad base. 
that set us up when the uh, reforms came through mm -hmm. that we were far ahead of the Liberal Party. Interesting. Um, okay. the, the party that was closest to us in, in sort of a, a philosophy and a, and a culture and an operation that could uh, fundraise was actually the NDP. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we've done extremely well in fundraising. Um, and it's been uh, fundraising is uh, and, and leading in fundraising is a strategic advantage as much and a political advantage as much as it's just good business practice. We, uh, we've had the benefit of that. I, I like to tell the story about uh, how Stephen Harper um, succeeded as being the longest minority prime minister in Canadian history. Typically minority governments last anywhere from a year to two years. Uh, he, his minority government lasted for five years. And people often say, well, how, how did he last so long? Well, he was, he was a very brilliant man in terms of understanding how parliament worked and, and how to get what he wanted done in a minority government. But also, he also had the, uh, the, 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 the knowledge that uh, if the opposition wanted to take him down, he had more money in the bank than anybody else across the aisle did. And so uh, he's, it was effectively, you want to take us down? Well, we're ready to fight an election. Are you? Right. And uh, so money is very important in politics and, and, and it has direct impact ultimately uh, on what happens sometimes uh, in the in the House of Commons. And uh, so you have to keep your eye on that. Well, that's fascinating. And I will I will start paying attention to that, Scott. Um, I've often said to people I know and, you know, my employees, my friends, um, we get to uh, the right. And I think everybody should exercise the right to vote, you know, once every four years or so, provincially, federally. Um, but look, the reality is most of our time, our vote really doesn't mean much, especially under the system we're in today, under the parliamentary system. But you vote with your dollars every day. And I think that those votes with your dollars are actually far more powerful than how you cast a ballot. And they're both important. Um, but things like if you have a broad swath of, of conservative party members all willing to not necessarily hit the maximum if many of them can't afford that but they can all donate a couple hundred bucks goes along probably a lot more powerful than than trying to encourage just a few people to convert from a liberal vote to conservative vote that's absolutely right and uh, what we've uh, been able to do uh, is reverse the the, the typical uh, scenario where the governing party out fundraises the opposition party um, just before I became president uh, we lost fundraising for the first time in nine years in Q4 of 2015. Uh, we reversed that, and uh, since that date, we've been out fundraising annually, uh, the Liberals. They've been much more competitive, the Liberals, but we've been managing to stay ahead of them. And that's really important when you think about another political factor is when you're in government, you have all the resources of uh, the taxpayer-funded uh, government dollars. Yeah, of course. Uh, to, you have home to, team advantage. To promote yourself and yeah. get in front of the cameras and get in the news. Uh, and so uh, it helps level the playing field if we can raise more money than they, they can. And we can spend that outside of the RIP period to get our message out. Right. Uh, really, really important. Um, you mentioned, as we wrap this up on the, this is really great. I love talking about the, the finance side <laughs> of this. Um, you mentioned that the, the telltale signs that a governing party may be looking to call an election early is uh, have they got their uh, candidates all set up for various in the constituencies where they're not, they don't have an MP, but they've got their finances in place. Um, what does it look like on that picture with the Liberals yeah. right now? Is it, does it look like they're wanting to do this? I don't get the impression they are, but... 
Well, um, I think, uh, and, and I'm not sure when this is going to air, uh, but uh, if you look at what's happening, there's the, the raw politics of it, and then there's the preparations and, and getting your party ready. And you're highlighting, of course, one of the key things is how many, how many dollars do you have in the bank to do this? Uh, because of COVID and the reduced fundraising for all political parties, um, you know, there's much more challenge there. Um, the Liberals tend to run their party like they run the government. Uh, they're not afraid to get in debt as a party. We paid off our bank debt from the last election as of uh, August 1st. The Liberals haven't. Uh, they like to... Uh, so you can go into debt. That's not a problem. Well, it, but you have to go back to the banks to uh, raise that you. money. Yeah, yeah, to lend that money again. Yeah. And the Liberals operate their party, again, like they yeah. operate the country. Sure. They don't mind going in <laughs> deep into debt. Uh, to do that, and uh, they're just confident that one day they'll get themselves out of debt. Oh, I see. We uh, so even if they haven't raised the twenty nine million dollars, they'll just borrow it from the banks. And I'm sure, the banks all there's been a lot of enough backdoor deals gone in the last twelve months that they owe them a <laughs> lifetime worth of loans anyway. So a bit cynical yeah. about this whole thing, you know. Like uh, so, yeah. You, you, you well, the, the bottom line is is that they on the money side, I don't think the liberals are going to be afraid of borrowing more money to right. fight an election. Yeah. Then looking at the political side. Sure. Um, you know, what we've seen in uh, a couple of uh, the provincial elections is that um, um, sitting governments trade heavily on the COVID uh, crisis to try to keep themselves in power uh, to the benefit of the Conservative Party in, in New Brunswick. Brunswick yeah. uh, they won and looks like uh, looks John like Horgan's good. doing very well. Uh, so he's trading on that as well. And uh, the Liberals uh, federally will likely uh, uh, see that as a, as a good sign that incumbent governments are going to benefit from uh, the COVID crisis politically. Right. And uh, so you can see the maneuvering in a minority government um, uh, of the Liberals uh, to maybe participate in uh, an election. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're not afraid of, uh, of having an election. Uh, on our side, we're not afraid of having an election either. <laughs> so uh, we are uh, we're moving closer to that. But uh, you still have to watch those uh, signs of uh, are people being nominated? Uh, how's that fundraising going? What are those poll numbers? Um, and then some other subtle things that people don't sometimes realize. And if you're you sit and mentioned a moment ago, you're a little more cynical. Well, I can claim to be a little bit cynical too. Uh, when we watch uh, whether uh, the Liberals go for uh, an election, uh, there'll be a lot of people in their back bench uh, who uh, got elected in 2015. And uh, they need to have uh, been elected for six years or more or two elections. So, so by they, October so they next have year. Pension? Is that where we're going exists. with this? Yeah. <laughs> so at October next year, they'll hit their six year mark. So. Right. There will be some backbenchers of the Liberal Party saying, whoa, slow down. Let's just wait a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. That part just drives me. I'm going I'm to dive into that uh, some more on another podcast at some point. Because, yeah. you know, I the part I love that I think is so ironic is when you look at the federal NDP party and they take this position of like, we're working for the regular people, not just for the super rich. Right. Yeah. As though somehow, you know, the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party collect so many votes from all these super rich people. I don't know how they can get to that many votes. When they, and yet these are MPs who have not only are they making, you know, people get Jagmeet Singh. I mean, the guy's making a, roughly around $200,000 a year yeah. guaranteed. I mean, it's not like you don't have to worry about not getting a paycheck when you're working for the federal government, but his pension his well, he doesn't have it yet, but 
Yeah, he should will he will, and he sure he will. The pension people, you guys have to understand, in in, in real you know private dollars, there that's worth millions and millions of dollars. It's yeah. and it yeah. So. Well, to to the credit of uh, Prime Minister Harper, when he left office, he left on the table literally millions of dollars in his pension, which he did not take. Is that right? Uh, yeah. To his credit, uh, yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Um, and also during his. That's not. I don't. Know, I guess that's not very well known. No, it isn't. And he's not a person that would be you know trying to tell people that yeah. about that every day, but uh, it's just a fact. Um, and um, he also, under his prime ministership, um, reformed the pensions to make it closer to the private sector. Uh, so you can't collect your pension until you're 55 and this sort of thing, right. trying to make it uh, a little bit more reflective of uh, what people would expect uh, in the private sector. Although you're, you're absolutely right, it, it, it is not a private sector uh, package at all. Yeah, uh, it is very favorable. Yeah, it's very but lucrative. To, yeah. yeah, but to to some extent, uh, uh, you know, I, I I do see close and up uh, up close uh, how hard um, some of our MPs work and what they sacrifice to put aside to do sure. this job. And hey, look, Scott, I'm not criticizing <laughs> the pension. I'm yeah. criticizing the people who claim as though they're not part of the one percent. Yeah. You know, when they, the, the NDP MPs say. You know, we're here for the little yeah. guy who's just trying to get by. Yeah. And I'm looking at going, well, why don't you, if you really feel that way, why don't you give up half your income and donate it to a charity? Why don't you do what Harper did and walk away from that pension? But you yeah. won't. And that's the, that's yeah. the brute. That's where I get a little bit irked. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I hear you. And, <laughs> and, 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 you and know, they do, they do sacrifice. I mean, yeah. I'm not, it's just, yeah. it's just, it, you know, just admit the fact that, you know, you man, you managed to get yourself into a very lucrative position, especially yeah. you've managed it. And, and I think it's deserved. Look, if anything, pay these people more. I mean, I almost wonder sometimes if we wouldn't have better leadership in politics, if we actually gave a bit more an incentive, like have some kind of bonus structure. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure start. how you'd, you'd do that, but... <laughs> well, start but, cutting costs. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I, <laughs> now I'm going down my right wing. Avenue. Anyways, look, let's go back to a comment you made earlier, sure. which is you, you're, you believe that the Liberal Party is not afraid to enter into a, an election. They'll be willing to borrow money. Yep. And you guys aren't afraid to either. So that's a good yep. segue into talking about Aaron O'Toole. Sure. He's the new leader of the uh, Conservative Party. And it's yep. kind of standard that, you know, you have a, an election um, and, and Andrew Shearer just didn't deliver. And so this is all, often a case where there's a question, about, okay, well, let's maybe should we look at changing leadership? And that happened. There was an, a leadership race and there were a few people in that. Um, and Aaron O'Toole came out on top. So why don't you talk a few or for the yeah. listeners for a minute about Aaron O'Toole. I've never met him. Sure you yeah. have. Yep. Um, what's he like? Is he a guy that we can get behind? Are people that are yeah. you know supportive of the Conservative Party can get behind? Well, the first thing I, I, I'd, I'd sort of back this up a little bit. The first thing I want to talk about is the leadership race itself. Sure. Um, despite uh, being a shorter leadership race than we ran previously uh, in 2017 um, and going through COVID, uh, we set a record as a party for the number of people who joined our party during that process. Really? We ballooned up to 270,000 members. We've never been that big. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's a very good sign. And we also set a record for the number of ballots cast in the leadership race itself at 170,000 ballots cast. Uh, that's the largest uh, leadership uh, vote in Canadian history. Uh, so that's a really good sign of a, of a, a party that's very engaged, um, and that the leadership candidates uh, really actually did a great job of reaching out and connecting despite, again, COVID. And Aaron came out on top of that, a clear and decisive win uh, as our leader. 
And I think uh, his success was uh, in the in the campaign. First of all, learning how to campaign in a in a COVID environment, which I think may uh, do him very well coming into a federal election with his team. Uh, but he was able to reach out into all aspects of our party and and unite our party. Uh, he is quickly. Uh, uh, gathered everybody together in a focused direction. So that's the number one thing, being able to unify a party. That's what a party leader must do. And Aaron's been able to do that. Um, I think he has uh, got all the tools to be a, a great prime minister with his background. Uh, he was uh, uh, the military, uh, became a captain in the Air Force, flying in helicopters and rescue missions and that sort of thing. Uh, so he's got that military background and discipline. Uh, he's also um, a lawyer like me <laughs> and uh, uh, practiced uh, law on Bay Street and in corporate Canada. So he's got a, a great uh, grounding and training uh, uh, that way. And he's been in business uh, through his uh, uh, legal practice. So uh, I think he's got a lot of the great tools outside of politics. Uh, then he's got uh, the background as a former uh, cabinet minister under the Harper years. He came in uh, in the latter part of the uh, Harper years as the Minister of Veteran Affairs. So he's got experience around the cabinet table. So he knows how this all works uh, to, to be in government. So uh, as a total package, uh, really, I, I just think uh, Aaron's, uh, he's, he's got what it takes uh, to be the Prime Minister. And he's got a party that's united behind him. And so that's a very, very powerful uh, early start to his uh, leadership. Well, that sounds very exciting. Um, thanks for that background parties as a whole in politics, <laughs> if you don't mind me continuing on this yeah, absolutely. topic. So one of my observations, again, I'm not a, a political expert by, yeah. like yourself, uh, and, and I'm learning a lot here, but one of my observations is it seems to, maybe this is just the Donald Trump effect, but it seems like the world has become, especially in North America, much more polarized into this world of like left and right and sort of no middle ground. It's like, uh, you know, families have been, broke, you know, been broken apart in the United States over this. Yep. And when I look at political parties, I see a lack of independent thought and expression of views because they have to be part of the party whip. Right. Who I, I think the, I'm assuming the word means they yeah. put the yeah. MPs yeah. into place, make yeah. sure they vote a certain direction. Isn't there something to be said about the, the problems of like, uh, they, like doesn't that kind of create a, a, an environment where... Um, you know, there's a party leader and a couple of key people. And so when you go back to your philosophy of like you're voting for your what you believe in up front and but maybe you're not because you're you're getting whatever the party leadership decides on, even though you might have an MP that I don't pick a hot topic where you'd like, say, OK, well, maybe I've got some party leader who isn't supportive of that. Yeah. And yet I agree with but my local my local re representative is supportive of it, but they can't vote in that direction. Um, is there, what are your thoughts on that? Well, well twofold. Again, um, mostly um, a lot of the differences are, are, are brokered out through the party to okay. present a unified and coherent agenda and strategy to present to uh, the Canadian people to say, this is what we're going to do as government. And uh, we've, uh, we've all taken a little bit of water in our wine, and uh, this is what we're, we're, we're putting forward as our agenda uh, to go forward to govern. So that's the first thing. And I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think actually it's a good thing. Uh, prevents extreme politics uh, okay. that we see uh, under other systems. Starting off the at country. the party level first. Right. Okay. And, but also the 
your 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 concern about uh, the independence of um, MPs and their power within caucuses and uh, their parties. Well, just uh, to have the right to be able to vote. Like if I was a if I was yeah. a federal, like let me use a good example. I'm an entrepreneurial, independent kind of guy. Yeah, I don't like having anybody tell me what to do. <laughs> and I can sure as hell hell tell you, no matter what party I'm with, if I get voted by my yeah. constituents, it doesn't matter whether I'm independent, I'm a liberal, or conservative, yeah. and I go up and I have something that I start like I'm firmly against. I'm going to have a really hard time voting with my right hand when I know my left hand should be going up. Yeah, there's and, and there's a really good basis for saying we really need to uh, preserve that. And there's lots of strong MPs that do take that position against their own party leadership to say this is what I, I believe in and I support. Um, but it's also there's a, a, a little bit of a uh, I'll call it like a functional analysis of this. Yeah. Um, in the UK, uh, it's often argued that their MPs, uh, as opposed to in Canada, have much more independence. And and you have more mavericks and colorful figures and that sort of thing. And and their system doesn't seem to fall apart. It's largely our, the same system we have. And people wonder why. And I don't why, know how it's different. Yeah, so you and people wonder help, why yeah. that happens. And, sure. And, and sure, there's a political culture aspect to it. But one of the biggest things is there's 650 MPs in the House of Commons in Britain. Oh, right. Okay. There's 338 here. Yeah. There are what we call safe seats in Britain that will elect a conservative or elect a labor person. No matter no what. Ma no matter what. And what that means. They can be the is, most offensive person. That's Well, what it means is you, you, that person, when they get elected to there, is very secure in their seat in gotcha. Parliament. And, and whatever the leadership may want to do in terms of carrots and sticks uh, with respect to that maverick sitting in the back bench, right. not much you can do about it because right. they're going to get elected every time. Yeah. And it's even to the extent in the this British is why system. Michelle Rempel's so outspoken. <laughs> well, a lot of our Alberta <laughs> I really MPs like her, are. Actually. Yeah. She's, well, great. she's great. She yeah. is great. And yeah. a lot of our Alberta MPs are the same way. They they know they're going to get reelected. Yeah. They're, they're not fearful of that. Yeah. And there's uh, so it does encourage a, a little bit of sense of independence. Um, and in the UK, uh, it's, it gets to the point where um, they actually have committees of backbench MPs. Uh, in the Conservative Party, I think it's called the 1922 Committee, and the chairman of that has actual direct influence over the, the cabinet and the leadership. Fascinating. He, they, they're never going to be a cabinet minister. They know that. They'll never be on the inside of the cabinet table. But if certain things are happening that they don't want, they have a direct line to the party leadership and the leader and the, and the cabinet to say, no, you're not doing that. If you do, we'll revolt. And we may even vote against you mm -hmm. uh, or we'll withhold our vote. Uh, so that's even with their own party. Uh, but the reason why you get that, again, is because there's lots of safe seats and these guys don't worry about getting reelected. Uh, and that that dynamic uh, comes uh, in their system. Uh, so uh, I hate to say this, <laughs> being a good conservative, but you, to, to, to address your issue and maybe uh, uh, encourage more independence of our MPs, we probably need more of them. Right. Okay. I see. Fair enough. <laughs> so if I'm going to run, I should make sure I'm going to run the conservative banner. I should make sure I move to Alberta first. If you're running a Lethbridge, <laughs> you're going to get elected. <laughs> get elected. Well, I think that that, that uh, concept you've just described was sort of um, illustrated in that movie, The Darkest Hour, which was, uh, um, did you watch that movie? Yeah, it's a great movie. And yeah. uh it actually captures a, a period uh, of history, which uh, I've, I've read in a couple of different sources. And actually, the latest one uh, who wrote about that, 
uh, essentially that that whole what that whole movie was about yeah. was Boris Johnson. And if you ever want to read Boris Johnson, he's a very good writer because he was a journalist for many years. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a very good writer. He's called the book's called The Churchill Factor, uh, and a very entertaining read and very, 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 very good because uh, it it hits that moment in history where you really understand that um, by the decisions of a few people in a few in literally hours uh, changed the course of, uh, of history. It did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic movie. Um, okay, let's let's jump to the Conservative Party's role today. Um, we could be in for an election soon. We could. might not see an election for three years from now. Is it three years? Two yeah. and a half? Three and a half? Three years? Yep. Um, what do you see the Conservative Party's role today in, in this current state that we're in today um, under both COVID and a minority government? Um, it, it's really, really important um, in, in a democracy Um uh, where we're really in, in crisis um, in our country, uh, dealing with a pandemic. And uh, we, we talked about Churchill a moment ago. Um, and it's important that our institutions perform as they should. Um, uh, again, with Churchill, with the bombs literally falling on London, um, the House of Commons met and met regularly, despite uh, literally being bombed. Um, Churchill also uh, was willing to have uh, a confidence motion on his premiership uh, in 1943 after some reversals uh, militarily. Uh, he was confident he was going to win those, but he actually let his government be voted on for their record. Um, they did not, they understood what they were uh, trying to do was keep their parliamentary democracy alive because that's what they were fighting about. Uh, I sometimes think that uh, in this day and age, um, Justin Trudeau has no clue that that actually is what he, his job is, is to maintain our institutions. His, uh, in the spring, um, putting forward uh, spending uh, proposals and legislation that would prevent uh, any questioning of, uh, of the finance minister over the budgets for over a year and a half. Really almost, frankly, I, I, I don't want to sound too dramatic about it, but it strikes to a thousand years of parliamentary democracy mm-hmm. of holding a government accountable for what they spend uh, and how they govern us. Uh, they just wanted to pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've continually reached but for that. To me, it was beyond arrogant. It was on the borderline of being uh, almost scary. It, well, it's dictatorial. Dictatorial, 100%. Yeah, no, it, it, it shows, it's, it's, frankly, the the nature of this government and their leadership. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a very different liberal government than I remember growing up as a kid. You mentioned yeah. Chen. I just yeah. I just don't feel like the Liberal Party today is anything close to what it was from the 1990s earlier? <laughs> well, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, in 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 those days, you had a finance minister that uh, um, balanced the budget and purposely did so, cut taxes. You're talking about Paul Martin. Yeah, and yeah. kept deficits uh, uh, and debt low. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, that that liberal it does not exist in a liberal party today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, the, the, the people that are behind the, the federal liberal party today are the same uh, folks that uh, were behind uh, Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne who ran uh, Ontario for 16 years. And uh, in running Ontario for 16 years, they ran up the world's largest subnational debt. I didn't largest, know that. Yep, largest subnational debt in the, in the world. Um, greater than California. But California has three times the population of Ontario. 
and I, and I think we probably agree California is not exactly a, a right wing Dickinsonian no, uh, regime. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, uh, so um, they really didn't care about de- debts and deficits and financial management. Um, and again, it's the same people uh, that are uh, the chief advisors to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and frankly, uh, you know, um, uh, Trudeau's father uh, created a, a debt and deficit problem for our country uh, that was wasn't solved until the, the mid 1990s, uh, and it cost our country dealer dearly. Um, and uh, prior to the pandemic, we were heading down that path. Um, there were no fiscal anchors. Uh, there was no. But this plan. has accelerated it. Absolutely, uh, and it's given, frankly, uh, uh, them cover to uh, to spend uh, as they wish for their friends uh, and whatever their their favorites are. Um, we saw that in the Wee scandal, uh, where they were prepared to hand over a billion dollars uh, to their friends in in, uh, in that charitable organization to try to run something uh, that should not have been run by them. Uh, they were in no position to do that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah, of politics to play, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the NDP become a very, very key part of that. They sure uh, do, Andrew. Uh, I think you have to watch. And I mean, the throne speech was upheld by Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, yep. so there was no, yeah. yeah that's and funny. and you have a lot of history repeating itself, uh-huh. um, not only with the the uh, vast uh, spending of the government. Uh, uh, which is very f- similar to what uh, Justin Trudeau's father did in the 1970s. You also even have the example of his father having a minority government propped up by the NDP. Uh, that happened in 1972 to 1974. Uh, and uh, the, a lot of the vast spending uh, under the uh, Pierre Trudeau years was right in those years. Uh, and the same thing's happening again. Uh, the, the, uh, Andrew, we know how this movie ends. Uh, I just hope we can stop it before we get there. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like watching the Titanic and you actually see the iceberg. Yeah. Scott, to finish this up, I'm going to ask you two questions. One is, uh, do you have a prediction? If all right, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction on when you could, if you had to drop five bucks on a bet, when do you think we could potentially see an election before three years from now? And who do you think is going to make that happen? You guys are the Liberals or the NDP? Uh, I think um, ultimately we're going to oppose the uh, current government. Uh, the key thing is who's going to prop them up. Okay. And it's the, the, the party that's going to do that is going to be the NDP. And the NDP is going to squeeze the federal Liberals for all the spending they can get. And at some point, the federal Liberals will say, enough's enough. We can't do anymore. And then the NDP will say, Okay, we're voting with those guys to take you down, uh, and that will be uh, the moment that it happens. So uh, your prediction is that likely it would be the NDP who end up being the ones to take down the government, not the Conservatives, because we're, they're we're, gonna, you already want to. You're ready yeah. to go. The votes are uh, lined up with ourselves and the Bloc to vote against the government. Okay, it's just whether the NDP will withdraw their support, and they've got uh, the as they call it the balance of power, so yeah. to speak. And as much as the Liberals will get tired of uh, just giving the NDP more and more money for uh, their pet projects, at a certain point, the NDP also uh, is going to be tired of propping up the government because, uh, frankly, we'll be just looking at them and saying, why are you propping up this government? Uh, This government is refusing, as we're currently seeing in the the media, from allowing any uh, examination 
of the, the Wii scandal. Of the Wii scandal. Yeah. Uh, and and, it's a great point, Scott. Yeah. And so at some point, the NDP are going to look themselves in the mirror and say, why are we supporting these people? Mm-hmm. We have to say no mm-hmm. at some point to them. Yeah. And when they do that, we'll get an election. <laughs> So you answered the second part of my question, which is you, you suspect it'll be the NDP who yeah. are going to be the ones who end up yeah. calling the election. Do you have any sense of like, if you could just pin five bucks, we won't hold you to yeah. it. I mean, but if, if you had to put five bucks down, when do you think that could happen? Wow. Uh, that is a tough question. That yeah. really honestly is a tough question because... What's the earliest we could see that happen? Next week. Really? Yeah. Realistically uh, though, next week, not likely, right? Well, I mean, we can get back to the the, the the question of why would the NDP want to pull them down now? Sure. Um, How's their fundraising been? Terrible. Uh, so do they have the, candidates in every riding? No. Okay, so they're, they're probably not going to be keen they're, to do they're that. They're not going to be that keen. Um, they'll, they uh, also probably see the polls, and the polls would show that they'll probably be very lucky to hold the seats they have, and they're more likely to lose seats uh, to both ourselves and to the Liberals. Yeah, the, the NDP uh, is in a moment in its history where it's been really stretched. Um, uh, frankly, I believe that we will uh, take a lot of their rural seats and the Liberals will take a lot of their urban seats. Um, the NDP has transformed itself from a long way from its original roots um, as a cooperative movement in mm-hmm. uh, Western Canada. Yes, uh, sure has. Yeah, a long, long My great grandmother was actually one of the founders of that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I I was I was born and, and raised until I got to high school in, in Alberta. So my family, a lot of my family's from Alberta. And I have a lot of cousins in in uh, in uh, Saskatchewan, and uh, it, it was you tell people in Eastern Canada this, but it's hard for them to understand. But I said, well, my relatives, we, they had either vote for in Saskatchewan, they vote for the NDP, or they vote for uh, the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. They'd never vote for the Liberals. Right. Liberals were <laughs> the big fat cats in Eastern Canada. That's right. Never vote for them. Yeah. And I always say to people growing up in Alberta, I, of course, no one voted for the Liberals uh, growing up in Alberta. I said the first time I ever met Liberals was I moved to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Scott Lamb, president of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, I wish you and your party the best of luck. Thank you. Uh, it's been really in, in, insightful for me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to enjoy listening to this because it's a it's a really interesting conversation about the sort of backside, the, the the business of politics. So I appreciate you coming and talking with us today. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. I'll do it anytime. Yeah. Good great. to see you. Good. Thanks.